Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 60, that's right, 6-0, of Wrestle Life Radio. I'm here with my cousin Kyle and my little brother Micah, and we are going to tell you all about AEW Full Gear. And we are so, so excited to talk about it, are we not? Woo! Way more excited than I was about SmackDown, so. I <laughs> bar. Um. Oh, man, we're on a time crunch here, so we're going to jump straight into it without doing any wrestling history. Sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, so let's jump straight into the, the pre-show, and let's talk about B. Priestley versus Britt Baker. And I will. I got our card here that we picked to see who would win. I picked B. Priestley, and the two of you picked Britt Baker. That is uh, 0-1 for me and 1-1 and for the both of you. I did not win this. Britt Baker pulled out the victory. Kyle, tell us about the match. Uh, it was fine uh obviously they played off the concussion kind of b Priestley kind of worked over for beggar's head through most of the match um it was sloppy in spots uh i mean it was okay um basically b like i said worked on her head through most of the match i uh, was hitting like you know brain busters and you know whatnot and uh, basically, the end of the match came. Britt Baker was able to make a comeback, hit some brain busters of her own. Um, she she basically won the match by locking in the uh, lockjaw. Um, I don't I don't know how I feel about it. how do you guys feel about this match? I I thought it was okay, but it was a little bit lackluster, especially since they, I mean, they, they kind of tease this as like being a big feud, but I mean, B hasn't been on TV at all. They we haven't really seen her since the last pay per view. So, yeah, I just don't think this really had much to it. What do you guys think? They had that promo before the match to kind of give a voice to B. Because I never heard her speak before. Yeah. Um, I thought that added a little bit to the match. Um, I really liked the reversal of the lockjaw that she had. I actually thought she was going to win with that. Um, I think she reversed it like a crucifix. I thought yeah. that was really cool. I thought it was pretty good for a buy-in match. I mean, it was pretty on par with the rest of the women's matches on AEW, to be honest. Not a great match, but it was just, it was a good start, I guess, for the... For the show. She also paid tribute to Adam Cole by hitting the uh, Panama Sunrise Canadian Destroyer, but yeah, yeah what do you think, Matt? I think okay is the perfect word for this match. It wasn't bad yeah. at all. It wasn't great. And I said on the Full Gear Preview show, it really, I was really disappointed that this wasn't on the main card because they were kind of making it out to be a main feud. I was wrong. After watching this match, it wasn't bad, okay? But the pay-per-view was just a banger, and if this would have been in the, if this would have followed any match on the pay-per-view, yeah, it would have been a serious letdown. Well, I think yeah. they wanted to have it as like a big feud, but I didn't feel that at all. Like I said, they B really hasn't been on TV. Uh, Jamie Hayter is the only one that's really competed with Britt on TV, and they just said that she was B's partner. But B Pre, like I said, B Priestley, B Priestley has not been on the main Dynamite show. To have you know continue the feud, whereas, I mean, in contrast, obviously it's not going to compare. But, I mean, you look at a good feud or a great feud like Cody and Jericho has been. They've been on just about every show and done something, and they haven't done that with these two. And I think it's why it wasn't on the main card, and it's why it probably didn't deliver as much in the story category for the match. But like you said, I thought it was okay. That makes sense. The so following the match, after Britt Baker makes B. Priestley tap out, the lights go out, and which is fine. AEW loves doing that, and it's it's, it's cool. But I think, done. 
Yeah, they, they use it a lot. Matter of fact, they used it three times in the show, and we'll, we'll get to that. Awesome Kong comes out, Brandy Rhodes is out with her, and they attack B Priestley. And then they cut off a lock of her hair, and Awesome Kong like adds it to her belt. I'm assuming this is going to be like a, a voodoo woman gimmick, and the reason that I say that is because in a lot of old stories and TV shows and anything that you guys may watch or read, the uh, voodoo is often often used someone's locks of hair. Yeah, and if you notice on her belt, there's different strands of wigs or whatever fake right. hair already hanging from it, so I think that's going to be her thing. Yeah. I hope it's not like a supernatural voodoo type thing. I, I agree with you, Matt. It, it could be it. I'm hoping this is more of just the gimmick of she's taking it as a trophy and not necessarily because because I did like it. Uh, it's it's definitely something different. It's something new. You don't you haven't really ever seen this, you know, for a woman's character. And plus, it's awesome Kong. So the fact that she's going out there and I mean, cutting off other girls' hair and you know keeping it as a trophy, I think it's pretty a pretty cool idea. But like you said, if if they get into the voodoo category and they start, I mean, I, I could just picture in WWE her grabbing some hair and putting it on a doll, and then somebody just like convulsing in the middle of a match or something, <laughs> yeah. and Brandy's playing with a doll, like that kind of stuff. I don't really want to see, but I agree. Yeah, I think I would. If she just comes out the promos, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, if as long as she just comes out and kind of cuts a hair and keeps it as a trophy, I mean, that's humiliating enough for a woman, I believe. So. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably as far as it needs to go, but I like it. We'll see where it goes. I think I would like the whole gimmick better if, honestly, Brandy wasn't involved. I think I don't think Awesome Kong needs Brandy, really. I don't, I don't like the whole Brandy's the brains and Kong's the brawn. She's the Paul Heyman of this group. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going for it. She's I think the awesome advocate. Kong can, I think she can stand on her own. I don't think she needs Brandy. I don't think Brandy's promos are really that good. And I, I, I think it kind of takes away from her, but we'll see what they do with it. It was a little weird. Okay, let's be fair. It was a lot weird. And if they put this on WWE programming, we would bury it. So I, AEW is so new, I don't want to be like, okay, well, they're going to do this ridiculously stupid gimmick. We're all going to hate it. And in six months, that we'll forget that it even happened. I like Mordecai. Does anyone remember Mordecai? No. No, they don't. You might remember him from his two or three weeks on WWE CW, but nothing ever came of him. He became Kevin Thorne, a totally different character who everyone also forgot about. So I just, Awesome Kong is, I I think without argument, is the most well-known wrestler in AEW, well-known female wrestler in AEW to the mainstream audience. And so, I don't know, this is kind of weird. And it's like, okay, this is Cody's wife, and now she's a voodoo woman, even though she was just in a video package promoting Cody in his match with Jericho. It, it, it doesn't really gel well with me, but again, mm-hmm. AEW has done things in the past that I'm like, I don't know about this, and then the next week or the week after, they pay it off in a very good way. So I'm okay with giving them a pass, but we'll see how it turns out, because it could be a little weird. Yeah, I, agree. I mean, I don't really agree that. I mean, and we don't spend too much more time on this. But if WWE did something like this when Awesome Kong was there, I mean, they almost started. She was kind of a bully character. Uh, I mean, I I would have been into it if this was kind of what they. I, I like the idea. Like I said, if if they evolve on it more and it kind of gets silly, then yeah, I would not enjoy this. But if she's going out and like destroying people and just being Awesome Kong, and then she takes some hair at the end of it, like 
I think that's kind of cool. So I'm into it. Okay. All right. What's next? We don't always have to agree on everything. Yeah. Uh, Young Bucks versus Proud and Powerful opened the show. And I was not prepared for this to open the show. And it was so good. It was so mm-hmm. good. The the Young Bucks... Let's Actually, you know what? Before we do that, let's go ahead and do predictions. So, Young Bucks versus Santana Ortiz. Kyle said Santana and Ortiz would win. Micah and I picked the Young Bucks. Spoiler alert. 0-2 for me. LAX slash Pride and... Pride and Proud and powerful PMP. slash Santana and Ortiz pulled this one off, and this match was incredible. Kyle, go ahead and tell us about the match. Yeah, it was really good. Um, we had Rock and Roll Express sing at ringside, which was awesome. They kind of got involved a couple times, not like too much to where they, you know, were you know a big part of the match, but they were right. definitely a factor. Obviously, because Proud and Powerful attacked them two weeks ago, so they were at ringside and were obviously cheering on the Young Bucks. I really enjoyed this match. Like I said, it was really, really good. A lot of tons of, tons of, you know, cool spots. There was one spot where Ortiz kind of had the advantage on uh, Nick Jackson, I believe, and he ran and hit the ropes. And Nick Jackson caught him with a super kick and he flopped around like a fish. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know. That just cracked me up. Uh, I might have popped for that, like, pretty, pretty big. That was yeah. some Shawn Michaels selling right there. Yeah, it was hilarious. Yeah, um, but probably the big spot of the match, or a big factor of the match, I should say, uh, Nick went for a kick on uh, Ortiz on the outside, but Ortiz ducked and he actually kicked the square post, which mm. did not sound like it felt very good. So this played into the match in a big way. Basically, he sold his leg the entire match. He was limping on it. He did a good job of it. Even when he gave knee strikes and super kicks, which he continued to do, he would at least sell it, which most people don't do nowadays. But he, uh, So he sold it the whole match. It was basically back and forth the entire way. Until the very end, when the Young Bucks finally started pulling away, they set up for the Meltzer driver. Nick was on the ropes. He tried to jump on the ropes like normal and to do his flip, but his leg gave way and he fell to the mat, uh, selling the injured leg. So Matt helped him up and put him up on the top rope. But Pine Powerful was able to lay out Matt and force uh, Nick to make the tag to him and basically got in the ring. They double teamed him, hit the street sweeper, and got the victory here. So Ortiz... And Santana picked up a win over the Young Bucks. What'd you guys think? I um uh, I, I really liked this match. I liked the selling of the leg injury and uh, like my favorite kind of match is the. Uh, but the, the Young Bucks don't tell story. stories in their match. Yeah, yeah. People so, that say so that are incorrect. Yes, they're wrong. And and you you see him injure his leg and you see so many times in in wrestling and I won't say just in WWE it's, it's in AEW as well somebody basically like you know they'll break their leg in the middle of a match and they'll sell it for a couple seconds and then oh they'll springboard off the top rope and it's like oh I guess their leg's fine now and I was glad to see I guess a an intentional botch you know selling the the leg injury I thought that was something you don't see a lot of times. And the fact that it allowed uh, Santana and Ortiz come up with the win, I think we'll probably see them uh, face each other again, probably sooner rather than later. It's going to be another great match. They're both very talented, and any match that either one of them's in is going to be great. So I grew up watching WCW, and then I've now been watching WWE for years and years and years. I like tag team wrestling, but I've been conditioned to know that two big stars can always defeat two tag team specialists. Always. Always. 100% of the time. And I tell you, the AEW tag team division has been set up so well 
that if, if Santana and Ortiz or the Young Bucks or the Lucha Brothers or SCU came in there and they wrestled, I don't know, John Moxley and some oh, Cody, John Moxley and Cody, two guys that are two of the biggest stars in the company but have never tagged together, I don't think John Moxley and Cody would stand a chance. And I think that they that AEW has put over their tag team division so well with matches like this that it, it makes their tag teams superstars. And in my lifetime, I don't think I've ever seen that. And I've been watching wrestling for over two decades. This match may have been the match of the night for me if it wasn't for two absolute classics that closed the show. I mean, two matches they can go up against any, this is a spoiler alert for later in the show, but any other match that you can think of in history, think of a classic wrestling match and a hardcore match, and you can put these these two matches up against it. They were both incredible. But as far as this match goes, there was one spot that I want to point out where Santana and Ortiz are putting, I believe it was Nick in a Boston Crab. Or, or Ortiz put oh, Nick yeah, in a Boston yeah. Crab. Oh, San, Santana picked up Matt in a gory special. And he was stretching him, and he bends over, or he steps over Nick and does a camel clutch on him. And so Nick is hanging in the air, and he's got a camel clutch and a Boston Crab on him while Matt is being stretched. And it was just so original and so cool. And as soon as they broke it, my wife said, I want to see that again. They need to put that on replay, which they didn't. But it was just such a cool spot and was something that we haven't seen in American wrestling ever. It was so good. I loved yeah. this match. Um, I actually think that the right team won. I think the Young Bucks add another loss, and that's fine. I don't think they can continue to do that. They need to keep. They have to win their next pay-per-view match, and they need to look strong on TV. But I'm totally okay with them losing here. Santana and Ortiz are coming in as huge stars, and they look like huge stars now. It was terrific. After the match was over, Santana and Ortiz continued to beat down the Young Bucks with Sammy Guevara coming out. The Rock and Roll Express came in, and was it? It was Ricky Morton, right? Yes. Yeah. So Ricky Morton hits Santana with a Canadian Destroyer. Now it was over the ropes. Santana did all the work, but Ricky Morton's like seventy years old. And yes, you can argue it was the worst Canadian Destroyer ever. The dude's seventy. He's it was seventy not the years worst old. Ever. <laughs> yeah, it definitely wasn't the worst ever. No, yeah. but he's seventy years old. It was slow. It didn't look great. But who cares? But you know what did look great? Immediately after that, when he did a suicide dive to Sammy Guevara and Ortiz on the outside, and it looks better than anything Seth Rollins, and I know I'm bagging on Seth Rollins, I have to get at least one in per show, has done in forever. The reason that, and I, I tell, told my wife this, and I don't know if I mentioned this on the show or not, but when Darby Allen hits the suicide dives, it looked great. I'm sick of seeing everyone and their mother do suicide dives because in WWE, they just look so boring and outdated. But... AEW can do it with certain wrestlers and make it look really strong. <laughs> Freaking Ricky Morton, who's 70 years old, did the best suicide dive I have seen in, in quite some time. Ortiz is a treasure and, and caught him perfectly where he landed on his feet. This, this whole segment was perfect. The Young Bucks got their heat back. The Rock and Roll Express looked strong. they got to have Rock and Roll Ex Express versus Santana and Ortiz, right? It's going to happen. <laughs> I was thinking that possibly maybe a eight man tag. I think them being in a match on at least Dynamite would be a good uh, good thing to do. They just won what? some little independent tag titles. 
They're still, re- I mean, they still wrestle in the indies all the time. Like, yeah. They're very active. So you could have Arn and Tully versus the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Tully can or the not, but I don't know about Arn. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Also, one one ever two was Nick spitting his gum at Santana. Yeah. And then him chewing it up afterwards. Yeah. He, he like, spit his gum at him. Santana picked it up off the ground. And I start popping, and my wife goes, no, 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 no. Exactly. And I'm like, yes, it's so uh, good. It's as, 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 as heart-wrenching as the last match was and hard to watch it was, that was really hard for me to watch. <laughs> <laughs> that, just... that was more difficult than, than the, than the <laughs> yeah. death match, yeah. Yeah. That's good. So we're going to move to uh, Pac versus Adam Page. And we all picked Adam Page. I mean, we all picked Pac. All three of us picked Pac. That's a, that's a poor call by us. Yeah. I, I will say that I'm glad I was wrong on this one because I, I said on the yeah. previous show that I wanted Hangman Page to win, but I thought they would keep Pac strong here. But I'm glad he won. So I, I really enjoyed this match. Uh, obviously, he came out and the fans were chanting his uh, cowboy shit chant <laughs> that is you know gotten over now. So that's his new thing. Um, you know, this was this was very much a different match from the first match on the show. This was way more of a brawl. Uh, they did a couple high spots, uh, high flying moves, but not a whole lot of it. It was just a you know drag out brawl. I I love this. I think Pac was great. Hangman was great. Basically, the end of the match came when uh, Pac he got up top for the big arrow or the not big arrow the black arrow, uh, but Page cut him off and hit a follow away slam from the top rope. He kept going for the buckshot lariat, but Pac just kept avoiding the entire time. Hangman went for the dead eye, but Pac turned it into the brutalizer. And he, uh, it was an awesome moment. It, it was great. And Paige, you know, sold this move, you know, so good. Basically, he didn't even like power out or like John Cena this at all. He just got to the ropes and collapsed and yeah. fell into the rope break. So it just really sold this move. Um, basically, Pac got up again, went for the black arrow again, but missed. Uh, he uh, was able to, to duck a buckshot. Uh, he nearly ran to the referee, but he he kind of you know acted like he was gonna shield the ref and low bro, uh, low blow Adam Page. Page caught some uh, coming. He caught his leg, turned it around, hit the dead eye, and picked up the win. I thought it was really really good match. This is probably one of my favorite matches of the night. I mean, I I agree with you, Matt, that the tag match before was great, but I don't know. I thought this one was like equally as good. What do you guys think? I enjoyed the story the match told. Uh, it, I think Adam Page and Pac have faced each other twice now, once in singles and one in tag, I believe, if I'm correct. And uh, it, it showed that Adam Page has learned from his mistakes before. I mean, he reversed the low blow, which is how he lost the last time they faced each other. Right. He he reversed, I think, two black arrows. I don't think Pac has put the brutalizer on him before. I really enjoyed the just falling into the ropes for a rope break. He just he he basically passed out on the ropes. Yeah, it was awesome. Right. It, it was it was great. Um, you could tell that Pack had learned some moves from from Page, uh, reversing the the dead eye or not the dead eye the um, what is buckshot, buckshot lariat. Buckshot lariat, yeah. And I thought that was uh, that was really cool. I, I enjoy when you can tell people face each other a couple times and they learn from their mistakes and, and stuff doesn't work on any on them anymore. I think that was a, a pretty good story to the match. Yeah. Yeah, this the story was so good. And they kept saying this is the rubber match. And Hangman Page did get the win in the tag match, but that was because Moxley essentially turned on Pac. And Kenny Omega got that pin, if I remember right. So, a little weird, but whatever. I mean, I guess they wanted to close the feud, and that's fine. 
There were a couple cool spots that I want to point out. Um, there was one spot where uh, Pac basically brain-bustered Adam Page into a chair on the outside. Yeah. It, it looked really good. And then there was a... I don't remember what it's called, but basically Adam Page took Pac to the top of the ring and threw him above his head. And he threw him about three-quarters of the length of the ring. I mean, it was yeah. it was incredible. I do want to point out, and th- I don't think this is AEW's fault because I'm pretty sure that they have been planning this all along. So when Adam Page caught Pac trying to kick him in the nuts, this exact, I mean exact same spot just happened on Wednesday night at NXT because Pete Dunne got beat by Damian Priest. Damian Priest brings Pete Dunne to the corner makes it where the the referee can't see and he goes for the kick and then Pete Dunne catches the catches the kick and prevents being kicked in the nuts and Pete Dunne wins. Uh, the difference is Pete Dunne is not an upstanding guy like Adam Page is and kicked Damian Priest in the nuts. So but it was the exact same spot. So if for me and my biggest competition that's happening the same night as our shows did the same spot, I might go, "Oh, maybe we should maybe we should change it a bit." But that, again, that's nitpicky. But I, I don't know. It, it just happened. I mean, three days before this pay-per-view aired. So that was a little a little strange. Either way, this match was also incredible. And I look at my beautiful wife during the tag match, and I said, who in the world would want to follow this? No one can follow this. And they did. They succeeded. This match yeah. was incredible. I, I absolutely did not think Adam Page had any chance of succeeding here. I thought that he was going to take the pinfall. He was going to start turning heel. And maybe that's not the way it's looking. So Pac still looks strong. This match was great. No issues at all. I'm okay with it. We yeah, move on like to... Said it, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that, yeah, I just really enjoyed this match too. And like I said, it might be my match of the night. I'm torn between this one and the Cody and Jericho match, but uh, we'll get into that down the, down the road. But God, I, I just love this match so much. This one and the opener as well were great. Okay. So, Sean Spears versus Joe Janela was next. And I feel like this match could have been really, really good if more story was told. Because I'm behind on AEW Dark, so I didn't see the whole Tully Blanchard and Sean Spears kind of attacking Joe Janela. I did see them that Joe Janela run in this past Wednesday on Dynamite. That's not enough of a story for me. I, feel, I almost feel like they should have put this match also on the pre-show. They should have had two pre-show matches. I know they, they're trying to make their, their show shorter, but I, I don't know. It, the match was good. It was fun. There was one spot, and Kyle, I'll let you tell about it, but there was one spot where Sean Spears uh, tied Janela's hair in the corner, and it was cool, and it was something that I've never seen before in wrestling. But because there was no backstory, it kind of fell flat for me. Do you agree? I thought this match was fine. It, it it was where it needed to be. I mean, especially after those two, the two matches at the beginning. It was and, a nice I mean, break for the crowd. Yeah, and I agree. Like they could have told more story. Um, they did give us a recap on Dynamite of like what had happened. So that you know the story was there that you know Janela was attacked by Tully and Sean Spears. And I think what they're trying to do here, it wasn't so much to, you know, have such a great feud between Janela and Spears. It's, it was more so to get Spears back on the winning track and to show that, like, Tully was kind of in his corner. Because Tully's kind of been a non-factor for Spears. I think he might have gotten involved a little bit in the Cody match, but he hasn't really been an asset to him as much. Um, 
Whereas in this match, he was he was much more of an asset. They kind of sold that. Right. You know, Tully was, you know, just as part of, you know, the team. And uh, basically, it was not a very long match. Like you said, they he, he tied Janela's hair in the corner. Um, that was, a, you know, probably the biggest spot of the match. Uh, Janela flipped to the outside several times and, you know, was just putting his body on the line. But basically, towards the end of the match, uh, Janela was able to hit a Northern Lariat. But uh, he stomped on Spears' face. Totally jumped up on the apron for the distraction, which uh, worked out for him. Uh, Spears took off the corner pad and uh, you know, the distraction and turned around and saw it. And so he went over to try and uh, take the, you know, to fix the pad or whatever. And Sean Spears was able to get out of the ring and his spike pile driver. He actually got Janela into the pile driver position and totally got on the steps. And jumped and helped deliver the spike pile driver. That was great. And so Spears rolled him in. Yeah, Spears rolled him into the ring. Hit him with a DVD. Picked up the win. I th- like I said, I thought this was like a break type of match. Yeah, I thought it was a, it was a good match. It was sandwiched between some some great matches. So it kind of seems like it fell flat. But it, I mean, if this was in a regular AEW Dynamite show, I think it would have been a really really good match to watch. Um, I, I kept thinking the entire time with Joey Janela's here tied into the rope for Awesome Kong to come out there after the match and just take a take a chunk of him and walk out. <laughs> I liked the the spike pile driver spot with with Tully. I thought that was that was pretty cool. I, I think both of these guys will will eventually be uh, toward the top of the mid card, maybe even the main event one day. I think it'd be a good mid card match for the pay per view, kind of a, a point of the pay per view, but still still good. Yeah, and it's nice to be watching a pay-per-view and and the two matches that I thought, you know, were misses, which was the the pre-show match and this match, they were still pretty sneaking good. They weren't amazing, but they were fine or better. It's very different than pay-per-views that I'm I'm used to watching, not to down too much on WWE again, but where the misses are just significant misses. Like this 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 match was fine. It was just more of a TV show match to me. So, again, it was yeah. it was it was good though. It was good. Uh, it's, it's better than a fake MMA match. Yes, yes. <laughs> moving forward, we have Kip Sabian in the back, and he's being interviewed by Golden Boy. And uh, he says that when he got here, he realized people were forming alliances and looked into possibly working with the Hybrid 2, which is Helico and Jack Evans. But he said that he didn't really have any chemistry with them. But he did find someone he does have chemistry with. And Penelope Ford comes up, who is his real-life girlfriend, ex-girlfriend of Joey Janela, who says... Why be bad when you can be super bad? So basically, Joey Janela teasing a program. Yeah, Joey Janela is the bad boy, and Kip Sabian is super bad. Kip Sabian, Micah, why don't you start us off and tell us what you thought about that? Uh, it seemed really forced. It seemed like a WWE promo to me. I mean, I guess we're kind of spoiled with the, the promo and the box promo and and a lot of the other stuff you see on AEW, but it didn't resonate with me. It seemed like they're reading off of a script, and I will say Penelope Ford has gotten significantly more orange over her tenure of AEW. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I don't really have much more to say about it. It just it didn't resonate with me. I didn't like it. Maybe it'll lead to something some decent. I, I would enjoy some more male female uh, intergender tag team matches. I think that would be cool. Maybe if they do it like TNA, not like WWE, where you doesn't really make sense. But I think the uh, intergender matches could get cool. So maybe they'll roll with that. But uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't like the promo. I mean, I I thought it was fine. It, it's it, it's getting their you know their new partnership over. Um, you know, just kind of introducing like they showed uh, Joe Janela walking after you know 
just after losing a match. So I think they're going to, you know, tease a program, like you said, you know, Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian are dating now, and she was Joe Janela's ex-girlfriend. So, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do with those um, those three. Uh, so it looks like they're setting it up, though. Let me tell you what it wasn't. Someone from another radio show that I was listening to said, this is just as bad as Rusev, Lana, and Lashley. No. And I no, laughed out loud. No. I did. I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, you, you've got to be kidding. Like, how much do you, must you hate AEW, or do you just don't want to see relationship angles at all, to even compare it? It was one 30-second interview with a five-second line. It's, it's, I just blew my mind that this other company that I've been listening to for a long time and I really respect said something like that. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, we, yeah. Moving on. SCU versus Lucha Brothers versus Private Party. And I'm really interested to know what you guys think about this because um, I do have some things to say about it. But we all picked SCU and we were all correct. Kyle, tell us about the match. I was expecting more out of this match. It was really sloppy at the beginning of the match. I mean, Pentagon and Phoenix are always good. So, um, but even they had some sloppy spots to start kind of the match. They got a rhythm later on and it, it turned into basically, you know, a spot fest of just doing, you know, several different things. So it was entertaining. You know, it had its spectacular moments. And like I said, Pentagon to Phoenix, and Phoenix is always great. So, uh, I mean, they had several cool spots, lots of outside dives, as you would expect. Basically, towards the end of the match, uh, Phoenix hit a triple springboard dive onto a pile of everybody. So uh, that was pretty cool. He ran down the ramp uh, and ran up the ropes and did a twisting dive into the ring. Uh, Quinn was able to hit an awesome shooting star press. I mean, he's always good at hitting those. Uh, they, they actually went for the gin and juice, but it got broken up by Kazarian. And Kazarian and um, uh, Scorpio Sky were able to hit the CU later on Cassidy, and so they pick up the win here. Uh, like I said, it was fine. It could have been a lot better because I thought the first, per, first part of the match was just sloppy. And then, uh, like I said, they, it wasn't a whole lot of story of the match. They basically just kind of swapped big spots and uh you know SCU picked up the win as you know Matt said and then at the end of the match Phoenix and uh, Pentagon get in the ring and they're attacking SCU the lights go out they come back on and there's a man in a uh Pentagon costume standing you know face to face with the other Pentagon they stare at each other for a minute and then they both do the zero miero and then he gets kicked in the balls <laughs> And then he uh, gets beat up. He takes off the mask and it's revealed that it's Christopher Daniels. Uh, and then they basically beat up the Lucha Brothers and send them packing. SU stands tall in the ring. I wasn't a fan of this either. I was, I don't know, it was just so gimmicky. Like They turned the like, lights off for him to come out too. So that's the second time this show that's happened. Yeah, second time it's happened. Like I said, it's slow over done. He comes out and he's in just like full on costume and makeup. And I was just like, why not just come out and attack him. I, I don't know. It was very silly. Didn't make a whole lot of sense. I thought it was fine, but not great. What'd you guys think? Yeah, every time the lights turn off on AEW, I'm kind of disappointed when it's not a new reveal. Um, so like, going back to Sean Spears, like his interest, he always turns the lights off. So they turn the lights off, and then you see Sean Spears sitting there. Oh, yeah, that like, was oh, the second time. Just, I'm, try- I'm sitting here trying to figure out what the other time was. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, every every time the lights turn off and I just see him sitting in the chair, I'm disappointed. I was like, oh, it's just Sean Spears. 
You know, I, I wish they would do something else with this entrance. But anyways, the lights turn off. Pentagon, and there's two Pentagons there, which I thought was kind of cool. I, it brought me back to the days of Kane and fake Kane, which, you know, had some issues. But And then I'm thinking, oh, who's in the mask? Oh, it's obvious Chris, obviously Christopher Daniels. So it, yeah, why, why do they even have to do that? Because it's kind of obvious who it is. But, and also they... And they, Pentagon they just fell for it. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah, was like... Yeah. He was like, like, oh, another Pentagon, brother. Yeah, he's like, hey, we got a triple tag team. I I guess he he passed the initiation test by doing the zero mero with him. (laughs) So he was like, okay, you're cool then. Yeah, going into the match, I was concerned how they would have three teams in a tag match. I don't have as much experience with wrestling as y'all do. Um, Is it a is it is this common match type where you have three teams and only two of them? They do it a lot in WWE now, but it's usually a cluster on WWE. Yeah, and I was I was concerned how they would do it without it being a cluster, and apparently they can't because the entire match I'm thinking, okay, who's the, who's even the legal man now? Because AEW is pretty bad about bending the rules right. when it comes to tag matches, especially. And you've got you got SEU and Private Party and Lucha Bros all in there, and you've got them all fighting at the same time, even though there's only two legal men. And I'm thinking, man, anybody could tag right now, and I would believe it. I don't know. I don't even think the referees knew half the time. It was it was just a cluster for me. I didn't like the match. This is probably the only match on the card that I just didn't like. I mean, uh, the Lucha Bros had some great spots. I mean, there were some great spots in the match, but I don't think spots make a good match. Um, not for me, at least. So I just I just didn't enjoy it. Um, I know they're all three great teams. I didn't enjoy the the format of the match. I didn't I, I didn't like how much of a cluster it was. But they're all very talented. It just it just fell flat for me. My favorite AEW match so far, and I know this is going to kind of be against what I say because I usually like good old school classic wrestling. My favorite AEW match so far was Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks in that yep. table match. Me too. It was so good and so incredible. The Lucha Brothers are my favorite tag team in all of wrestling right now. I was so looking forward to this match and I didn't dislike it as much as you did, but I I, I was really disappointed by it. And again, that's not saying the match was bad. It just, it it didn't stand out. And these are six workers, at least four. Private Party's good, but they're still kind of green. But the other four guys are four of the best wrestlers in the world. Whether it's tag team singles, doesn't matter. They're all so talented. And it, it, this match fell flat for me. And it was just, it was just kind of disappointing because I wanted it to be so good. And I don't think it was so much that the match was bad. But it's, I was expecting to be so wowed by this match, and I just wasn't, I don't know, I, I guess I was just more disappointed. But Christopher Daniels came out, he had the fallen angel paint over his eye. I hope that means he's coming back as a fallen angel, which doesn't fit with SCU at all, but we'll see. Riho versus Emi Sakura. So if I remember right, this is the, and this might seem ridiculous, but I'm pretty sure this is like the 287th time that these two have been in the ring together. So the Emi Sakura trained Riho, and uh, yeah, this match to me was fun. Tell us about it, Kyle. So yeah, this Riho and Sakura match. I don't know, like it was a good match. Maybe I'm just not not a fan of Sakura. Ba- basically, what so what happens? Sakura comes out. She's Fr- Freddie Mercury, and nobody really gives her a pop or anything. And then Riho comes out. She gets a good pop as usual. They they did a good job of like telling the story that Sakura is you know a veteran wrestler who basically taught Riho so it's like student teacher type match. Kenny Omega does some commentary as well before the match. During the match or early on at least, Sakura was kind of 
user size to bully Riho a little bit. At one point, Rio was on the apron, and Sakura hit a running cross body block. It sent Rio crashing to the floor, which will get hurt. Rio also hit a corner double stomp, like the Alberto Del Rio type, where she's like stuck in the corner. Yeah, that's not my favorite move, but it was like on the outside. Sakura like hit the apron on the outside, so it was kind of gnarly. That um, didn't no, that one didn't bother me. The one where they get in the corner and they hold on to the top rope. Until the double stomp comes. Right, right. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and they she did it to the outside of the apron. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I hate that move because it's so obviously dumb. Yeah, because they have to... It's very contrived. Like she's, The victim has, has to, to hold on, otherwise it won't yeah, work. She's like has to sit up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's not the best. But the crowd was definitely into it. They were uh, chanting for Riho, and she started to kind of make her comeback. Sakura was able to cut her, cut her off a little bit, and she went for like a Vader bomb. But instead, she did like a Vader stomp, is what I think Jr. called it. She went, she kind of started to do the Vader bomb and just came down with a stomp. Yeah. And then she went back to the corner and basically did a Vader uh, whisper in the wind type thing. So um, she did that twice. But Riho started to make a comeback. The crowd really got into her. They kind of played off the finish that happened um, in the tag match where... Sakura rolled up Riho, but this time it was Riho who rolled her up. And she did a really cool tilt-a-whirl. I've actually never seen this before. She did like a tilt-a-whirl from a crucifix, spun like underneath her arms, and then came and did like a, a cradle and got the win here. Like, it was a really awesome finish. And it was a good match. Uh, I'm not really a huge fan of Joshi-style wrestling, I guess. Um, I haven't been a huge fan of, of either of these wrestlers throughout their tenure in AEW that I've seen. But I will say this is probably the best match I've seen them in, and I actually did enjoy it. Um, you can tell they've got a lot of chemistry together. They've obviously got a lot of experience wrestling with each other. That cr- ending like sequence, the entire like six or seven moves chained together were, were crazy good. Yeah. Um, I will say it's, it's beginning to look like Riho's finisher is a surprise roll-up. I mean, I was, was going to say, I, I'm not sure what her finisher is. I think it's a stomp of some kind. She uses, she stomped about a hundred times in this match, but I don't know like what her actual finisher is, but she's rolled up just about everybody she's beaten. So at least this one was really cool looking. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? I have no clue what her finisher is. And I even said that during the match yesterday, I will tell you that I know certain wrestlers and I have no idea if Riho's one of them, but certain wrestlers in Japanese promotions have specific roll-ups they beat their opponent with. And some of them even have named finishers that are just roll-ups. So I don't know if that's what that is. But I tell you, it, you got to explain that kind of stuff if you're going to be introducing this kind of stuff to America. Otherwise, I really like this match. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I knew that it was going to be a banger, and especially toward the end when they were rolling each other up in four or five multiple roll-ups and they just kept kicking out. It was just such a really cool segment. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I thought this match was really, really fun and uh, way better than Britt Baker versus B. Priestley. Oh, and, I agree with that, uh, for sure. <laughs> it was probably my fourth or fifth favorite match of the night, which is saying a lot because the card was so stacked. There were so many good matches. I liked it a lot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was all good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was maybe it's just because it was like a to me, it was very typical Riho match. Obviously, I mean, they did work well together. I mean, it clearly shows that they've worked several times before. But I, I don't know what it was. It was just kind of, it, it wasn't as good a match to me, I guess, as it was for you. But I still enjoyed it. It wasn't boring or anything. But, and yeah, it's, 
the double foot stomp thing I could do without. So, but I mean, that didn't ruin the match for me by any means. It was a good match, but uh, not my favorite of the night, but still, still enjoyed it for the most part. I don't know what the name of the move is, but that move where Sakura basically broke Riho's back over her knee twice in a row. Yeah. That was probably the best I've ever seen that move executed. Yeah. It was, it was fantastic. And that, Really, the fluidity between the it two. It also helps that Riho's like a toothpick, so yeah, that's like true. Yeah, you can half every time. <laughs> Imagine her versus Brock Lesnar. See how that would go. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. So I don't Brock Lesnar would th- throw her in like the fourth row. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember if we said, but we did all pick Riho. So yeah, um, Chris Jericho with MJF. Excuse me, and Chris Jericho with Jake Hager versus Cody with MJF, and we all said. That this match would not go the distance. We were correct. Kyle picked Cody to win the match. And Mike and I picked Chris Jericho. And the only legend that any of us got right were Arn Anderson. Although I did say, I sure wish they could get like a Japanese legend. And they got the great Muta. He was not yeah, an yeah. official guest, so I can't cre- take credit for that. But I was glad that that turned up. It was really I'm cool. not sure if I named... I, he wasn't one of my picks, but I definitely knew Dean Malenko was there. So I thought he was potentially one. I don't know if I... You named I, I listed off Arn Anderson and Virgil. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, kinda, no, I, I said Soul Train <laughs> Jones, not Virgil. Yeah, excuse yeah. me. Sorry. <laughs> it's big difference. Copyright. <laughs> yes. I, I will say I was a little disappointed. Though. I, I thought they would actually like bring out the legends, have them an entrance, get yeah. a, a big pop from them. But they were just kind of like, oh, and by the way, Dean Malenko, Great Muda, and Arn Anderson are here. Well, I think they were it, running out of time. And I know that they weren't, uh, this probably wasn't true, but they at least appeared to not want to be there. (laughs) It was like, Muda was just sitting there, uh, Malenko and Arn Anderson had scowls on their faces, which, they're old men, and that's, I mean, Dean Malenko's always kind of been like that, but. Arn too. (laughs) Yeah, so all three of them were just kind of like, yep. I'm pretty (laughs) sure, I'm pretty sure that great Muta, like. Before he went out there, I don't know what he was wearing, but he had an AEW hat and shirt on. So they were like, here, put this on. <laughs> and so maybe he got paid extra for wearing AEW merch. Maybe so. But the this match, oh boy. These final two matches. And I think we've kind of ragged on some of these earlier matches. And looking back, I had so much fun with this pay-per-view. So I don't think they were as bad as, as we're making them out to be. It's just... Maybe we expected more from some of them, but these last two matches, to me, made up for everything because I think both were all-time classics. So Chris Jericho with Jake Hager versus Cody Rhodes with MJF. Kyle, take us to the match. Well, I will say that these last two matches, I was about two hours into the show, or that's about two hours in when these two matches started, and I was just like, man, like they ended up taking almost two more hours just by themselves very long and very but i mean not in a bad way they were long very good matches this match started kind of slow but not in a bad way as well right it was good storytelling uh, it, yes it was, it was a lot of storytelling and they definitely just took their time it's more of a better way to say it, it wasn't slow in the sense that there wasn't like any action but yeah you could definitely tell that they were kind of pacing themselves it was kind of you know a lot of chain wrestling early on Jericho was working on, uh, I mean, Cody was working on Jericho's right arm a lot. And the announcers correctly pointed out that that was uh, Jericho's dominant arm and also the one that he throws the Judas effect with. So it was, you know, smart to point that out. Then there was a big point in this match where Jericho was on the ramp, standing on the ramp, and Cody went for a suicide dive over the top rope. 
Jericho moved out of the way and Cody landed on his face on the ramp, got busted open hard way. Also apparently injured his ribs. Yeah, he splatted. Injuries. Yeah. Splatted right on his face. And I was like, I saw him come up bleeding and they said he felt his face. But I was like, I ah, pretty probably just bladed. But when I saw that cut, I was like, no, that's not <laughs> blading. Yeah. Same. That is, that is hitting his head on the ramp. And they checked on him. They, they, uh, you know, pulled Jericho away and kind of the doctors came in and uh, Aubrey came and looked at him. He he kept saying he was fine, but I think for a little while, at least he was still kind of a little loopy. <laughs> he, I mean, he wasn't bad by any means, but he kind of, it took him a while to kind of get back going. Right. And uh, he was on the outside a couple of times and they kept checking on him. And uh, I know at one point he kept, he said, uh, loud enough, the camera picked it up. He said, uh, it's my ribs. It's not my eye. Damn. <laughs> so I knew at that point because I heard him say it that it was his ribs that he hurt most. Like the cut was bad enough, but uh, he definitely did something to his ribs. So it was gushing early, but kind of slowed down bleeding over his eye. Uh, but it definitely—I don't know if he was planning on you know juicing, but it definitely added a little bit to it. So they kind of went back and forth, and there was a there was a point where Cody went for a moonsault, um, but missed, and Jericho basically just kind of controlled you know the match from this point and. Um, he got out at one point, got out of the ring, and remember Cody's mom to uh, who was sitting ringside to try to intimidate him. She just like immediately slapped him, which is great. And uh, I don't know if anybody's ever heard Cody talk about his mother, but she's like not a business mother at all. I mean, you know, the business of wrestling mother. Like, right? Dusty clearly always did his thing, and she was not involved. Like, she's just not. She's the hardest critic to please, and wrestling's just not her thing. But she played really well. If, I mean, I would have never known it the way she played it. She just slapped Jericho and said F you to him, which was hilarious. And uh, then Cody came out and speared in the barricade, and then she slapped him on the top of the head again. Yeah. And he threw him into the ring, and he gave his mom a hug, which was great. And uh, Cody got in the ring with the album slam. Uh, Excalibur called it something else, and then JR had to be like, yeah, what did Bob Holly used to call that? And then he had no idea what it was. And I was like, it's an Alabama slam, yeah, dude. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, you know so many moves, and he... He, he Googled it or something later because he, he did name it, but it was a couple minutes later. Yeah, and JR's like, ding, uh, ding, ding. Yeah, so. Yeah, I will say we definitely funny. missed Tony Schiavone on commentary. Right. I, yeah, I, I kind of agree. He he was definitely missed here because uh, there are some times where JR kind of, because Excalibur's there to name the moves and, you know, he, he moves things along a little bit, but there's sometimes when JR kind of needs somebody to bounce stuff off of and Tony's really good at that. Then uh, at one point, Jake Hager was on the outside. He blatantly just punched Cody. I think it was when Cody was going, he had a figure four locked in and um, Hager just like, just punched him and Audrey got up and immediately, you know, sent him to the back. So he, you know, threw a fit, but MJF came over and was mocking him. So MJF, or he kicked MJF in the balls and beat him up. Uh, you know, so he, he gets thrown out. Jericho also took off his belt at one point and hit Cody with belt. And Aubrey let him get a couple hits in, and then she was like, no, it's too much. So she took the belt away and threw it to the outside. Yeah. Then uh, after Jericho did that, Cody, he went for a Judas effect. Cody managed to block it and immediately hit the crossroads. Uh, but it was just a near fall. He wasn't able to put him away. He even hit a bionic elbow Cody did at one point. He went for the disaster kick, but Jericho countered it into a code breaker for another near fall. You know, back Jericho hit a line tamer at one point. And uh, no, he he lost Jericho earlier on, uh, but Cody was able to get out of it. Then Jericho got the Lion Tamer back on and was just like cranking back on him. He was stomping on Cody's head. It just looked brutal. And this is when MJF 
just all of a sudden appeared with a white towel in his hand. And it was either JR or Excalibur was like, what's he doing with that towel? Yeah. And he watched Cody in for it for a while, waited for a little bit. He was a little bit motionless, appeared to be, and MJF threw in the towel. Aubrey saw it flying. She calls for the bell. Jericho wins via towel submission, I guess. <laughs> the fans started booing a little bit. They weren't really happy with it. They were shocked. That was it. MJF threw in the towel, and Jericho wins. Yeah, I think they officially called it a corner stoppage. I can't say I've ever seen that finish before. Has that happened before in it's WWE? It's a boxing or WCW? thing. I don't think it's ever happened. I mean, maybe it's happened a I long think time it's happened one or two. It's very sparingly in you know, it's rare that they ever do it, but it's it's happened before. Um, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen it happen. I think it was in WWE, but I can't remember who it was. But it, it's definitely very rare. The only, I didn't mind it as much. My main issue with it was that I feel like they should have teased it some, or at some point earlier in the match. I didn't like that he just yeah. suddenly had the towel out of nowhere right. and then he threw it in. Like, I thought it would have been perfect. Obviously, they didn't plan this, but it would have been perfect to tease when Cody fell on his face and they almost really did have to stop the match. That would have been a good spot to like tease it. Like maybe MJF could have got a towel and been like, you know, I'll I'll throw it in or, you know, he was kind of thinking about it. Like he, and there's maybe due to the injury that Jericho was kind of totally in control. And uh, I mean, the wrestlers even said at one point that maybe the judges, if it goes the distance, he, they said that like Jericho was controlling so much that Jericho would win this fight because, you know, he was in control the whole time. So I think they should have teased it a little bit and not just had it happen immediately at the end. But I didn't mind it as a finish, but it'll be interesting to see how they do the stipulation coming off of it. As I'm sitting there watching it, and when he throws in the towel, like, I'm shocked, but it's not hell in the cell ending shocked. Like, I'm sitting here, and I, I just can't believe that's the way that it ended. And so my wife and I look back at each other. And we both have the same thought, but I'm too much of a coward to say it. And she says, I don't have a problem with that. And I said, you know, I didn't really either. It was different, and I like different. And what happened after the match made up for even the the slight discomfort that I had with this ending, because it definitely made it better. Yeah, so basically what happened was inner circle or celebrating with, uh, you know, Jericho. They all came, they all had the bubbly. They're spraying everywhere. They're MJF gets in the ring and he's, Cody's looking around like, I didn't tap. What happened? I didn't. And MJF's just like, I'm sorry. Sorry. I had to do it. He's on his knees, nearly crying, begging, apologizing to Cody. The fans even started a UF dump. MJF was just so apologetic. And Cody was like angry for the longest time. And I mean, rightfully so. I mean, he's, and the, the announcers kept saying like, I mean, you know what this means. Cody can't challenge for the title anymore. Yep. And, you know, Cody was angry. You, you kind of even thought he might, you know, deck MJF, but he finally, you know, he said, you know, it's fine. It's okay. So we got to pat him in the shoulder. Like, I understand. But he patted him on the shoulder. MJF kicked him right in the balls and turned on his best friend. And uh, they've been teasing a little bit that, you know, especially when they, he had the chair and he could have hit him a couple weeks ago, but. This is where they finally decided to do it. So MJF threw in the towel, ruined his you know best friend's shot at you know the championship, and turned on him here. He got major heat from this. I mean, so much so he was going to the ring. I don't know if this is a plant. I would imagine it is, but fan, some fan hurled his drink at him, splashed all over the place. It was just perfect. It looked like security was about to take him out. So 
He looked he pleased was, with himself after he got the soda thrown at him too. Yeah, and then the guy behind him just flipped, or the guy in the crowd that was behind the guy that threw the drink just flipped him off. It was great. I mean, it's it, perfect MJF. I'm not sure if I would have done it this soon, but the way they they did it and I really like this match. I really like the story it told. I got to say, this is probably my favorite match I've seen in AEW so far. Um, we've had a lot of great matches, but at the whole time, I, I didn't know which way it was going to go. I mean, I really didn't. You'd think, oh, Chris Jericho's obviously going to retain, just like we said. But during the match, I was like, oh, this, this could be a three count. This could be a three count. You know, the the spot where he, he does the suicide dive onto the ramp, and thankfully his face was there to break his fall. But he... <laughs> he like that, that when he when I first saw it, I thought the same thing you did. I thought that you know, oh, he bladed. And I got and I saw the gash, and I was like, no, that's that's from the diamond plate. I got up and I was like, man, are they gonna have to stop this match because he looks like he might bleed out here? I mean, he's he's seriously going, and uh, he, he stays in it. He he keeps fighting, and uh, which I thought added a great part of the story. You got um you got him countering the Judas effect in the crossroads. I really thought that was gonna be the three count. I gotta say, Aubrey Edwards did a great job through this whole match. The surprise—I think the surprise roll-up Cody did after uh, Chris Jericho got in Aubrey's face and pushed her a little bit, and she pushed him back, and then Cody uh, did a roll-up on him. I thought that would have been a great finish. Yeah. Um, but th- yeah, then you got the well. uh, yeah, she's she's doing really good. And then you've got the uh, the lion tamer, and uh, the first one I was like, yeah, okay, he's gonna get out. The second I was like, okay, something's gonna happen. But then he. He started. He did the, the kicks to the head, and then he lowered his knee onto his head. And I loved that little, just a little nuance in the move because I there's there's no way at that point. You've also got to keep in mind Cody actually did injure his ribs on that ramp. He's actually like out of commission. He's not cleared to wrestle right now, and that's that had to suck. I mean, you talk about the the next match and the the pain they went through. That that had to that could have been comfortable. You had the, the throwing into the towel, which was interesting. I, I the only reason I knew anything about what was going on because I've seen it in boxing before. But but uh, I was kind of kind of confused uh, at the ending. I really thought that we were going to see the opposite of what happened. I thought we were going to see Cody turn on MJF, and then from there just throw away his stipulation. You know, which I don't think would have been a good uh, story to go with. But I I thought that's what was going to happen. But they they still managed to surprise us. And uh, MJF is going to be a great heel, and uh, we've got a lot to look forward to in the story, I think. Cody Rhodes took that ridiculous lion tamer after dislocating his ribs. The dude is a friggin' trooper. It was insane. And I did the exact same thing both of you guys did. As soon as they showed, I'm like, oh, that's a nasty fall, but it's okay, he'll be fine. And then, because you you didn't get a real clear shot of it the the first time it happened. And so then it zooms in on Cody, and Carol freaks out because she doesn't like blood in wrestling aspects. She doesn't like hardcore matches, as we'll get to on the next one. And I said, it's okay, sweetheart. He just bladed. Oh, then I see the giant gash. And we see it from the other the other angle. And boy, it was just, it was bad. It was really bad. But the story told in this match, the story leading up to it has been so incredible. The story told in this match was absolutely terrific. I loved everything about it. And I'm not going to continue going on and on because you guys have already shared a lot about it, but it was just so good. I think the MJF Hill turn might have been, you know, a little too soon. But let's think about it this way. The guy can't really have a match on Dynamite right now because he's Cody's best friend who's the biggest baby face in the company, and he can't just come out and be a jerk like he, you know, generally is. It just doesn't really work. So I think it was fine, and honestly, as soon as he gets on the microphone on Wednesday night, 
we're going to be like, all right, it's fine. It all makes sense. Because he's 23 years old, and he cuts one of the best promos in all of wrestling. So it'll be fine. I really believe that. Lights go out and come back on, because that makes a big difference. John Moxley <laughs> versus Kenny Omega. And oh, boy. Now, I've seen some people say that people are divided on this match. If that's true, there's a lot more people that really loved it that didn't like it. Because I'm reading comments on Twitter. I'm reading comments on YouTube videos. I'm listening to other podcasts. Because I love wrestling, guys, and that's, that's what I do in my spare time. I, I can only see a very small amount of people, other than the really big names like Sean Ross Sapp, that in Brian Alvarez that, that didn't like it. Most of your average viewer really enjoyed this. Um, I will tell you that I loved it, and my beautiful wife did not. She hated it. She hated it passionately. I tell you, who didn't like it, Renee Young. Yeah, <laughs> she did not. <laughs> she did not. But my my wife tells me during I think it was I can't remember if it was Moxley Janella or yeah, it was definitely Moxley Janella. And she said if the whole if AEW is like this, I won't watch it. And so it's luckily not. But I think it's nice to have these matches two or three times a year. I really loved it. Take us through it, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely different from the rest of the show. Um, it was as advertised. Um, it was a lights-out match, uh, unsanctioned, hardcore match, anything goes. And uh, it definitely delivered that part. They did a little bit of you know wrestling to start the match out with, and it was really well done. Obviously, what you'd expect from you know Moxley and uh, Kenny Omega, but... Then once they started with the weapons and all that stuff, it was just crazy stuff after crazy stuff after crazy stuff. Uh, John Moxley brought in the barbed wire bat and just he hit Cody in the back several times with it. And there's just little puncture holes on Omega's back that blood's coming through on it. He hit him with it. Uh, There's one point where Omega got him in a like a waist lock when Moxley tried to swing the bat at him. So Omega's behind him with his hands around his waist and Moxley just takes the bat and starts scraping it on his arm to break free. Just crazy. At one point, Moxley was able to get out of the ring. I mean, uh, sorry, Omega was able to get out of the ring. He grabbed his broom. He used it on um, used it on Moxley, um, just hit him in the head with it. And uh, or it's top of the head, back of the neck type thing. He had blood coming off his neck, several puncture wounds there. Knocked him down, started sweeping his back with it, which was cringeworthy uh they set up a table on the outside and omega dove over the top rope and put moxley through the table at one point uh they had trash cans they were using smashing trash on each other um omega at one point grabbed one and did a backflip off the top rope didn't quite hit him on it it was more omega that took the trash can but yeah yeah just you know crazy they got they had a gold chain at one point um so they threw the chain in the ring and which surprisingly hasn't been used a whole lot in you know wrestling, but it, I mean, if you can think of a chain being used, uh, they were just it's basically a giant metal gold chain, and they were slamming each other on it. And it's one of those move, or one of those objects that hasn't been used a lot in wrestling in this way. But when you really think about it, you're like, oh man, that would really hurt. <laughs> it's having this giant metal, awkward, yeah. you know, uneven chain and just taking this, you know, body slam on it just would be excruciating. At one point, Moxley got a axe pick or ice pick. Like it was literally a little screwdriver. Yeah, it was I think very it was tiny. A screwdriver. They called it an ice pick. I think it was yeah, uh, it was an ice pick. <laughs> it had a sharp point on it. Okay. So, well that's right. It stuck in the turnbuckle, didn't it? 
yeah, so he basically went to go stab Omega with it. Omega moved out of the way and it just stabbed right through the turnbuckle and got stuck in it. Omega basically hit a pair of snaps, dragging suplexes out of that. He That's when he actually did the Terminator dive onto Moxley uh, through the table on the outside. And then Omega went around the outside of the ring, grabbed a bag, and he looked in it like all smiling. And everybody's thinking thumbtacks, but he slides it in the ring, pulls out a giant shard of glass. And they said that it might be the glass that was under, that was the remains of the table that Moxley put Omega through. And that uh, was a cool part of the story. Yeah, so uh, it might be, it might not be, but they, he, he kind of, you know, tried to stab or, you know, stab him, uh, Moxley in the head with it, you know, kind of breaking across his head. Then he grabbed the glass and just started stomping on it uh, in the bag. Then he takes it and just pours it out in the middle of the ring. They both took several bumps on this glass. He, he basically did like a, a lowdown, um, Omega did on Moxley, like a powerbomb onto the glass Omega's hands, he had his hands up, acting like he got the glass shards stuck in his back. Obviously, Moxley had glass all on his back. The referee got glass stuck in his hand from making the count. He even put, uh, Moxley got put in a sharpshooter by Omega on top of the glass. Moxley had to drag himself through the glass to try to get to the rope. That was like the most brutal part of the match for me. Because he's having to literally just scrape his arms through the glass to get to the rope. And... I mean, Omega grabbed several shards of glass and tried to stick it into Moxley's mouth, but then Moxley got him and hit a German suit on the glass. Uh, Omega got up and hit uh, some V-triggers on him, but they did a lot of glass, and it was very uh, cringy at points. I mean, this match was definitely not for the fan of heart. They basically started going at the ramp, worked their way at the ramp. Then Hangman and the Young Bucks came out when Omega had gotten Moxley to the top of the ramp, and they were basically telling him no you know, stop doing this, you know, stop the craziness. And Omega says, please just bring it, bring it. And you're kind of like, what's going on? Like they say, and they don't want to, but he's like, just do it this one time. They suddenly bring out a, which is like a bed frame, just filled and like wrapped entirely with barbed wire. So it was essentially a bed of barbed wire. Uh, they set this thing down. They, he teased the one uh, angel to do with it. Moxley reversed it. Then he teased a uh, paradigm shift of some sort. Then maybe, um, you know, just basically teasing, throwing each other in. And finally, Moxley grabbed Omega and hit him with a suplex off the ramp into the barbed wire bed. Just crazy. They're both just like in this bed of barbed wire surrounded by it. They're caved in into it. They can't, neither of them, uh, them can move. People had to come help them out because they didn't know, like, how to even get them out. People are, you know, they're reaching in to grab them. They're pulling their hands back because they're getting stabbed with a barbed wire. Just insanity. They finally managed to get them out. They are beating each other up. There's a, like a, a set piece there that has like a ramp or whatever with the full gear logo on it. Uh, Moxley gets set up in front of it. And Kenny Omega V-triggers him through it. And they just both fall through the set piece. And it's just like it has a light behind it. So, it's you know, there's laying in this piece. They managed to get back up make their way to the ring. There's still glass everywhere in the ring. They uh, Omega rolls Moxley in. He, he goes in for it, gets hit with a paradigm shift onto the glass, and Moxley immediately covers him, but only gets a near fall. And I was just like, oh my God, this is just insane. So Moxley finally gets out. He takes like a knife and just starts cutting away the ring apron. He pulls back the ring apron pulls back the small layer of padding and just reveals the 
boards of the ring, you know, laid across. So it's just the wooden boards of like half the ring. And they start doing spots on that. He goes for a paradigm shift on it or he, and then he eventually teased the gotch style pile driver, but Omega was able to hit a V trigger and then hit a paradigm shift of his own onto the wood. But it was also near fall. So it's still not over. And he goes to the top rope and goes for a Phoenix splash and Moxley moves out of the way. So he just lands and hits a top rope splash. Just, you know, but Moxley moved. So Omega just splatted on this wood. Just horrific. So Moxley picked him up. splash basically is when you turn your back to your opponent and then flip around and then do a 450. It's insane. And he just, and Moxley moved. So Omega just splatted onto this wood. Moxley picked him up, hit an elevated paradigm shift. And finally got the victory. My God, <laughs> this match was absolutely insanity. How do you guys feel about it? I know Matt, you enjoyed it. Carol hated it. <laughs> Michael, what do you think? I'm not a, normally a fan of extreme rules matches. I don't like the violence and stunts for the sake of violence and stunts. But this is a match that looked really dangerous. It looked like a spot fest. But really, when you look at it, it's just a lot of talent being put in to these dangerous-looking spots that were really actually fairly safe, except for the Phoenix Splash at the end. That that looked real bad. But uh, the barbed wire and everything, yeah, that's going to leave some scars. It's going to cut them up. But, I mean, it's not going to end their career. You know, you've got the going through the uh, to the, the bed frame with the barbed wire on it. I don't think that was real barbed wire on the bed frame. Um, I think if it was, they probably wouldn't have been able to get them out as easily as they did. And you've got the... I'm pretty sure it was real. <laughs> I don't, I don't know because it didn't like it didn't look like after they came out they had any new cuts or new bleeds, but they had so many. I mean, it'd be hard to tell. Um, the chain spot with Moxley going over the rope and it choking him out nearly—that was oh, yeah. crazy. I, I think I forgot to mention that. The uh, yeah, he basically was like almost hanging him on the outside. Yeah, even the fans were saying, "Ref, he can't breathe." Yeah, it looked like he was dying. I mean, it really did. The broken glass sharpshooter was a fantastic spot. A lot of people were saying that they didn't like it because they just thought it was too violent. And I mean, you look back in ECW days or something, and it's just because I think people aren't accustomed to it anymore in America, at least. I know they have the Japanese death matches that are insane compared to, like, this is tame compared to those, but I uh, I really liked it. I thought that while it, it looked really dangerous, it was a safe, well-done match. I, I really like John Moxley and Kenny Omega. I don't think they'll ever have a bad match. Both very talented. I think it would have been great if he could have connected in that Phoenix Splash because that is a crazy good move. Uh, I loved the the tearing away of the the mat. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, I didn't even know it was pine board under there. I thought it was like I don't even know what I thought it was, but uh, I thought that was that was really cool. Uh, if you notice too, when uh, the the elite come out with the bed frame, Nick Jackson is still selling his leg injury. Yeah, it was great. If you, if you notice, I mean, because like you said earlier, you know the young bucks don't tell a story, but they're all very talented. Um, his leg probably really did hurt though, because he it yeah, probably did. He did yeah. kick it pretty hard. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've had my share of shin injuries uh, playing soccer, and that I mean, I don't care how much padding you got on your. I mean, I wear shin guards and get kicked all the time, and it's still very hurts very much. So I don't care if he's got kick pads or not. Him kicking that post probably did really hurt. I think this was a good end to the Moxley Omega feud. Um, I think Moxley did need to win it. I think Kenny can. I think this might be the last pin that Kenny can eat for a while, um, if he wants to get built back up. But uh, I think Moxley's probably going to be the uh, one to take the, the title off of Jericho. 
So I, I'm I'm thinking they're going to be building to that. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a great match. I'm hoping Omega is off the show for a couple weeks because he should definitely be injured. Um, I don't want him to pull Seth Rollins and come back in the next show and, and challenge him or whatever. Yeah, I think it was great. I enjoyed the pay-per-view. I enjoyed the match. It was, it was all good. So I'm going to read five tweets that Renee Young had from the beginning of John Moxley's match to the end of John Moxley's match. So at the beginning, she tweets, My husband is handsome, also a bad MFer. Tweet number two, WTF. Tweet number three, Hi, yes, hello, I hate this. Tweet number four, <laughs> she quote tweets her own WTF and says, Seriously, WTF. And tweet number five is, anyways, I hear Christmas movies are a great palate cleanser. Help. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. This match blew my mind. I love good hardcore matches. I don't like these ridiculous death matches where they have a hundred light tubes. And they smash it over each other's head. But this is one of those where... Was it dangerous? Yeah, to an extent, because hardcore matches, are there's an inherent part of danger there. There's a bazillion little tiny cuts on these guys that are going to take a while to heal up. But the reality is, none of this stuff was really life-threatening. and Except maybe maybe when Kenny Omega hit John Moxley on the head with his barbed wire. That, uh, that didn't look good. But honestly, like nothing was as bad as Cody's bump from earlier in the night when he hit his head. So as death matches go, this one was really well planned out. They had mouse traps, which were insane. They had I that, forgot about the mouse traps. Yeah, they had mouse traps. <laughs> A board of mouse traps. Yep. And then one time, Moxley before Omega hung Moxley. Moxley had uh, the chain around Omega's face, but he had it in his mouth, and it was just crazy. And I tell you, Kenny Omega, is there any type of match that this guy can't do? I mean, he's nuts. It's not like someone like this guy can put on an amazing technical match. He can put on an amazing high-flying match, and now he's an amazing brawler. Like, I keep hearing that he's the greatest wrestler in the world, and I just haven't seen that so far in AEW, although a lot of his stuff in Japan has been great. But my gosh, like, this match sold me on him because he can do anything. He's so talented. I love this match. You, like I said at the beginning of the show, you can put any hardcore match up against this match, and it's really going to be difficult to say. Anyone, any hardcore match in history, as far as I'm concerned, and it'll be really difficult to say which one is better because this one was absolutely insane. Now, Kyle picked Kenny Omega here. Mike and I picked John Moxley, winner Moxley. So, overall, you have Kyle with five out of eight correct. You have Micah with six out of eight correct. And you have Matt with five out of eight correct, winner Micah. I'll take. I will say, because uh, I actually didn't say much to it, but I'm probably in the minority here. It's not that I hated this match, but I was definitely one of the ones that. I'll tell you what, this is a good example. I just literally yesterday saw Joker. If you haven't seen it, I won't spoil spoil the movie for you, but. I didn't like, I had some people ask me what I thought about it afterwards. Uh, my girlfriend asked me, she, she uh, was in Florida. So um, we didn't get to go together. Cause she kind of asked me for my review of it. And I was driving home and I was just like, it was good, but I didn't enjoy it. 
Yeah. I because, yeah, it's it's not a fun movie. <laughs> and that's really, this. that's really what I thought of this match. It was good, but I didn't enjoy it. And I think there's like two types of wrestling fans that, you know, kind of reflect, you know, the two sides of what's going on here. There are fans that just, you know, absolutely respect Omega and Moxley for doing all this stuff and putting their body to this and they can appreciate it. And then there's a side that knows the dangers of wrestling, knows that you don't have to, you know, put your body through this and that it's just insane to do so. And that it'll take years off your life and career. And so them seeing them do all this stuff, it's just kind of cringeworthy. And I'm somewhere around, you know, the, I, I see what they're doing to their body. And I'm just like, ah, like the, the stuff on the exposed ring. Like, I mean, the glass won't take, you know, many years off their career, but it was definitely like cringy to me at points. The, the barbed wire bed or whatever. I mean, I think it was real barbed wire. And I mean, they didn't, if I felt like if they wanted to use fake barbed wire, they would have done it with the bats and the broom too. And those clearly weren't faked. So I, I, and plus I don't think Moxley's the type to be like, yeah, we'll do fake for this. Like, I feel like he, he's going to go for it. This is, I mean, he's from, what is it? CZW. He's from that, uh, early on in his career, he was CZW guy. So this was right up his alley. And I mean, for what it was like these two, you know, have been wanting to get each other and like kill each other. And man, they did it in this match. But like I said, I felt like it was good. It might maybe even great for a hardcore match, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it. So that's just kind of how I feel about it. I just kind of I watched it and I was like, that was insane. And that's just how I feel about it. It wasn't a bad match by any means. I'm not saying that it was horrible or anything, but man, it was hard for me to watch. <laughs> it's definitely hard to watch. I will say yeah. that. I enjoyed the match and I would say it's hard to watch. So first of all, I want to plug my buddies over the film twits whose most recent uh, most recent episode is reviewing the Joker, and they have very different opinions of the Joker. So check them out on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And Kyle, I do want to say that we live in a world now where you can be whatever you want. So let me tell you, let me be the first to tell you that it is okay that you want to be wrong. So let's let's grade this thing because this is uh, this is a very interesting pay per view to grade. Michael, why don't you start us out? And tell us how you would grade AEW Full Gear. Okay, it's going to be my first grade. Yeah. So, uh, so let's not, not set the bar too high. But You're a first back, grader. Yeah. <laughs> looking, looking back, I, I thinking of what I didn't like on this pay-per-view, there's only one match that I didn't like, and that was the tag match. You know, just because it, it was a little disjointed and there was too much going on. I, I couldn't really follow. Uh, maybe that's on me, but... The rest of the matches were either good or great. It's not a perfect show, but I will say it's it's pretty close. It was pretty close to a perfect show. Um, so I'm going to give it an A. Not quite an A+. Plus. I don't know if anything ever will be, but I'm going to give it an A. Kyle, you want to go? Where it was strong, it was absolutely strong. Uh, and there weren't very many weak points. Um, I mean, you could say... The Sean Spears Joe Janela match was probably a weak point, but I, I thought for what it was and what they were trying to accomplish, yeah, it was, it was well good. done. And like even the uh, Joe Janela and the Kip Sabian thing afterwards, I mean that set, set up a story for TV moving forward. So I mean, there, you know, some stuff happened there. It wasn't like a nothing match that you know WWE likes to do all the time. 
So it, it still meant something. It still had a purpose. You know, Riho and uh, Sakura was good. You know, a lot of people loved it, I think, more than I did. And, I mean, I'm not saying it was bad at all. Um, it was a well-worked match. I thought it was good. But uh, it, was, it wasn't my favorite match of the night. But I totally, you know, think it was still a good match. I think I agree with Micah. Probably the weakest match was the triple threat tag. Um, that and the Britt Baker match. But it, that was on the pre-show, so it doesn't necessarily count. But... But yeah, triple threat tag was a little sloppy, but it was even fun at some points. It was, um, you know, pretty well done. But man, Pac, Hangman, Young Bucks, and Proud and what is it? Proud and Private. Proud and Powerful. PNP. Yes, LAX. PNP. <laughs> Young. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the opening tag match, like I said, even Moxley and um, Omega was good, even though, you know, it was what it was. And then Cody and Jericho, they, you know, delivered a great match. And even the angle afterwards was great. So I won't give this A or A plus. I'll give it an A minus simply because it wasn't a perfect show. And there was, I mean, I was a little bit left disappointed from the triple threat tag match and, you know, some of the stuff in the middle, but still very enjoyable show. So um, it's something to go watch. So I'm giving it an A minus. So there were a couple mediocre matches the triple threat tag as you guys touched on you know that had the potential to be the match of the night and it was probably the second worst match in the show uh only worse than than or only better than Britt baker and b Priestley. but again when when your worst matches are okay or good i think that's fine the reality is we had two instant classics i don't know People throw that around. This is an instant classic. And, oh, this match, it was an instant classic. But the reality is, in 10 years, when we're talking about wrestling, we're going to say, do you remember Full Gear when the last two matches were both insanely incredible? This show was really, really good. There wasn't a whole lot that dragged it down, but it can't get a perfect grade, but it gets as close as you can get, and it gets an A. I loved this show. Even the mediocre matches were still fun. Uh, I was still still enjoyed watching them. There was no part of Full Gear when I'm like, all right, tapping my wrist. It's time to move on. No. The show was great. I'm so glad I watched it. And honestly, kind of want to watch it again. And I might. Because it was that good. It was so good. Go watch it, guys. It was incredible. Ladies and gentlemen... This has been episode 60 of Wrestle Life Radio. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for this last, gosh, oh, well over an hour. This has been quite the episode. Thanks, Micah, for joining us. We appreciate it. We hope you're on again. Kyle, as always, you and I, we live here. Where can we follow you on uh, Instagram, Kyle? Kyle.poly. You can follow my good friend Chris Cumbie at Wrestle Life Hill on Twitter. Follow me on both at Wrestle Life Matt. And follow us all on Twitter at WrestleLifePod and Facebook and Instagram at WrestleLifeRadio. Listen to us wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Radio Public, iTunes, Google Play, literally wherever. We live everywhere. Please tell your friends. We appreciate it. We, uh, we've hit our, another milestone and listen, so we really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Please share. Tell your friends. That's the most important thing you can do with us. And if you like it, let us know in the comment below. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and we'll see you guys later this week. See ya. Garbage wrestling. <laughs>